Hello everyone, my name is Reese Karlinski and this is Young History, episode 132 on Zambia. The capitalist country is Lusaka. Zambia is named after the fourth largest river in Africa, the Zambezi River. Zambezi likely means the Grand River, so Zambia is the land of the Great River. Despite English being the main language, there are actually 73 different languages spoken in Zambia, and this is due to the 70 different ethnic groups that live here. Another fact is that termite hills in Zambia can grow as big as small houses and have become a huge problem in the country, which doesn't have as advanced of a anti-termite system as you see in the West. So whenever these termite hills go up, people just move away because nobody wants to deal with that. The traditional name for Victoria Falls is Mosi Autunya, which means smoke that thunders. And as you can imagine, Victoria Falls truly lives up to this name because of the fact that it is extremely loud, so much so that steam rises from it when it is pouring and it's just one of the most incredible sites on earth we love victoria falls and another fact about that area is that victoria falls is actually twice the height of niagara falls which is hard to imagine because of how grandiose niagara falls is but niagara falls is more long and wide but the height of victoria falls are insane and the last one is lake kariba which is the world's biggest man-made lake was created here and it is used for commercial fishing operations and to supply electric power to Zambia and other nearby nations. So those are our facts. Those are our things that made up our little intro. And I just don't want to dilly-dally anymore. I'm going to get right into this history. We've got a lot to get through Zambia because I'm just going to explain a lot of nuanced stuff and different major figures and all that. And we're going to try our best to not leave anything out. So very glad you guys are here. And one last time, my name is Reese Karlinski. This is Young History. And this is Zambia. You guys enjoy. Our origins begin between six and 3,000 years ago. Some of the first people here were the Khoisan. This is a general term for native Africans that weren't Bantu but lived in this area. They maintained a hunter-gatherer culture and their history was told through oral tradition with griots to tell their stories. And this is why historical recollection from this earlier period is really hard to find because obviously it wasn't written down and you're talking about word of mouth, which can be misunderstood very easily but the depth of protection and sacredness around these oral traditions are really really deep so we do consider the oral tradition slash oral history of nations in this region as very reliable first primary sources because of how protected the story has been generation over generation some of the people that were also here at this time were the twa people and then eventually the bantu the bantu migrated into this area around 300 ce there were taller more warrior-like people that were able to push out the twa and other people and they were able to gain control over this land and establish control over the khoisan people the twa and the khoisan paid tributes to the bantu who held power for a very long time the tonga people formed here as well and they were the first to use irrigation and agricultural practices they used slash and burn growing techniques which meant they had to migrate after using up the nutrients in the soil population growth was a result of agriculture ivory was exported copper was mined and other handcrafted goods were made this allowed much larger greater united civilizations to rise in the region one of them was the luba empire the luba empire was founded by king congolo around the turn of the 1400s to the 1500s. The empire expanded through conquest and alliances under the leadership of its first emperor, Elungi Mibiwa Kilue, and his successor, Kala Elunga. The Luba Empire had a complex political structure. 
It was a decentralized state with a divine king, or Mulapwe, at its center. The Mulapwe was regarded as a semi-divine being that wielded all the spiritual and political power in the nation. Below the king were regional chiefs who managed local affairs and were responsible for maintaining the king's authority and collectively gather tribute. The Luba Empire was prosperous, with an economy based on agriculture, hunting, fishing, and trade. They traded with neighboring regions, exchanging things like copper, iron, ivory, and slaves for other goods. The empire controlled the area of the Congo and south-central Africa, where Zambia lies today. The Luba were known for their sophisticated art, particularly wood carvings and sculptures. They had a rich oral tradition, which was preserved throughout history, much like the earlier Twa people. And the memory board, or Lukasa, was used by memory specialists to record and recall the empire's history, genealogies, and even medicinal plants. On top of this, the Luba practiced a form of ancestor worship and believed in a supreme being. The king was considered a spiritual leader who could communicate with ancestral spirits, and that was part of the reason they were meant to lead the people. The Luba Empire began to decline in the late 1700s due to internal divisions that were arisen through dynastic struggle. And pressures of European colonization also helped contribute to the struggles that happened in the 1800s. Around this same period, there was another empire in the area. This was the Lunda Empire. The Lunda Empire was founded in the early 1600s by Elunga Shibinda, who was a Luba prince. He married Lueji, a local princess, and their union marked the beginning of the Lunda dynasty, which was separate from the Luba. The empire expanded significantly under the reign of Mwata Yamvo who became one of the most influential leaders in Central Africa at the time by making the Lunda Empire the largest and most powerful state in Central Africa. It controlled most of modern Zambia and used a lot of iron tools. It was a centralized metal-producing empire. In the empire was the Lozi people who were tributaries to the Lunda monarchy. Much like the Luba Empire, the leader of the country was seen as not only a political leader but also a spiritual one. The Lunda Empire had a diversified economy. It relied heavily on agriculture, hunting, and mining. They were also involved in long-distance trade and specialized in the trade of copper, ivory, and slaves. The decline of the Lunda Empire began in the late 1700s and was encouraged by internal strife, succession disputes, and external pressures from the Europeans, very similar to the Luba. The Chakwe people were also people that rose to challenge the Lunda Empire, and they originated from what is now Angola, and over time, they migrated into Zambia, primarily settling in the northwestern part of the country. Chakwe society was matrilineal, meaning descent and inheritance are traced through the mother's lineage rather than the father. The Chakwe were warriors and expansionists that challenged the leadership in what becomes Zambia. And while all this internal stuff was happening, some foreign incursion would begin. Francisco de la Sada was a Portuguese explorer that wanted to explore Africa from coast to coast. He left for inland Africa from Mozambique in 1798. His plan was to connect Mozambique to Angola, which were both Portuguese states. The journey in between these two proved fatal for him because he died only a few years into it. Francisco Pinto led the expedition from here. He wanted the chiefs of the area to agree to a trade route between Mozambique and Angola. This led to a small area between Zambia and Mozambique being claimed by Portugal just before the turn of the century. Arab traders also explored this region after traveling the Somali coast. These Arabs came from Oman and helped form the Swahili language. And the formation of Swahili is interesting because it's kind of a mix of Bantu languages with Arabic that comes from traders from Oman. So on my episode on Oman, I went way deeper on that and talked about Zanzibar and all that. So you should definitely look into that if you're interested. 
David Livingston was a famous British explorer that had the goal of exploring the entire Zambezi River. He became the first European to find Victoria Falls. He explored parts of Zambia and died in the area in 1873. The Kingdom of Barotsaland was led by people of Basotho descent. The Makola tribe arrived in the kingdom after being defeated by Shaka Zulu. These people were of Basotho descent. They were led by Sebatwana, who became Litunga, or king of the region, and established the kingdom of Barotsa land after he defeated the Lhotse people that lived here. Barotsa land became one of the most powerful kingdoms in the area as European powers rose. The kingdom rejected the offer from Arab and Portuguese traders to build in this area. The kingdom only had stability under Sebatwana because dynastic issues caused the empire to tear itself apart. Cecil Rhodes attained a mineral rights concession from the chiefs of the area in 1888. Around the same time, he also founded British South Africa Company and made a protectorate over Zambia due to this resource concession. Zambia was added to the territory of northern Rhodesia in 1911. The British got involved in the pre-established chieftain system in the area. British officials struck deals with the Zambian chiefs to get land claims and control of the government. The negotiations were predicated on language barriers between chiefs and the British, which usually meant that the chiefs didn't know they were either giving up land or agreeing to any sort of deal. But, nonetheless, northern Rhodesia was established, and under British control, many mining companies in northern Rhodesia were created to explore the copper industry. This was a very fruitful campaign, but only for the elites and business owners. The wealth from the copper mining made the colonial government rich, but didn't trickle down to the working class. The mines were also built and worked by native Africans. This was because of British law that required labor from the native population. In 1924, Northern Rhodesia was transferred to the British colonial office as a protectorate rather than a possession of the African company. In 1928, hundreds of copper deposits were found in great density in Northern Rhodesia. This area gained the title the Copper Belt, and Northern Rhodesia started to produce 13% of the world's copper supply by 1938. The mining industry was very unsafe for the African workers, and taxes on goods were so high that people were unable to have a good work-life balance and started to barely have any quality of life at all. This caused many workers in the Copper Belt to strike and ask for more rights and protection as workers. Six miners were killed in this strike when things got violent and the British unleashed harsh violence upon them. During World War II, more strikes gripped the nation, and this time there was a large presence of white workers. They demanded higher salaries, and more strikes occurred by Africans after this. Rhodesian authorities used the war as a scapegoat to avoid addressing the issues, which is a thing we also saw back in America when the World War I was going on. They used World War I as a reason to not give women the right to vote in one election and push it off to the next one. So this is a thing that powers around the world were doing because they just said, oh, we don't need to deal with your problem right now. We're at war. The Central African Confederation was created in 1958 when northern and southern Rhodesia were merged with Nyasa land, which is now Malawi. In the 40s and 50s, nationalism was growing within northern Rhodesia. African National Congress and the Northern Rhodesian African National Congress were established by the people living in southern Africa to advocate for more autonomy and eventually move towards independence. In 1962, the United National Independence Party, UNIP, was founded. Its leader was Kenneth Kaunda, who called for full independence of Northern Rhodesia. The 1962 dual elections saw an African majority take power in the government and a coalition government formed between the two African nationalist parties. The UNIP called for a change to the constitution, expansion of the National Assembly, 
and the dissolution of the Federation of Northern Rhodesia. Within a year, all three of these requests were met by 1963. In January of 1964, Kaunda won the election to Prime Minister in Northern Rhodesia and would be the only Prime Minister of Northern Rhodesia. Lumna uprising was led by Alice Lenchina in the rural parts of the nation against the idea of separating different clans and tribes into different states, but her uprising was put down not long after and politics rolled on. After this, independence was officially gained in 1964 when Northern Rhodesia officially broke away from British South Africa to become known as Zambia. Kenneth Kaunda became the first president as well. During his presidency, Kaunda wanted neutrality in the Cold War, but he was a prominent advocate against apartheid in South Africa. He contributed to the dismantling of that regime. His cabinet also supported the independence wars of Angola and other similar nations. Zambia was struggling with economic instability. Social instability and inexperienced politics caused a lot of foreign aid to be forced into the country by the World Bank and the IMF, which is the International Monetary Fund. Kaunda then made a one-party system a year after he became president. The UNIP became the only party allowed to run in the government. Kaunda won re-election unopposed in 1973, 78, 83, and 88 due to this system. Clashes with Rhodesia or Zimbabwe occurred in the 70s because the Zimbabwe People's Revolution Army shot down two civilian aircrafts in Zambian airspace. The Zambian Air Force attacked the Zimbabwe Revolutionary Army directly. This caused relations to sour because civilians were killed in this attack, and the borders between the two were officially closed. Kaunda nationalized the copper industry, and he implemented price control on certain subsidies. Despite these efforts, the economic struggle was still very present in Zambia, through the 70s and 80s. This was exasperated in the 70s when copper prices fell globally due to the USSR flooding the copper market with product and it caused demand to shoot down. The downturn in the economy caused foreign aid to stop coming in for a short time. Zambia had good relations with the People's Republic of China, Yugoslavia, and Congo during major conflicts, which showed that the socialist influence in Zambia was very large. Then, around the late 80s, the movement for multi-party democracy occurred. This movement ended in the 1990s. The movement arose because of the increase in food prices and because Kaunda's restrictions on political rights. Kaunda backed down and allowed political parties to form. Eleven parties were founded, and one of the most prominent ones was the movement for multi-party democracy. It was led by Frederick Chaluba, who was a former opposition leader that was ousted by Kaunda. In the new constitution, which was drafted in 1990, multi-party elections were allowed to occur in 1991. This election was considered free and fair and saw Frederick Chaluba win the presidential race by vast majority. He limited the ability of the government to privatize industries and reduce subsidies nationwide. The MMD mistreated the opposition despite being a multi-party advocacy party. Political opponents were detained and political arrests were common. Foreign aid from Europe was withdrawn due to this new corruption. In 1993, a newspaper reported on a plan by the UNIP to usurp power in the nation by causing protests to overthrow the current one. This caused a lot of mistrust in the government, and 26 politicians were arrested for their abuses of power. In the 1996 election, the UNIP consolidated its power with six other parties to form a coalition force against the Chaluba government. Kenneth Kaunda attempted to lead the UNIP to victory once again. The elections were boycotted over corruption, and Chaluba won again. In late 1996, there was a coup. This coup attempt was led by army commanders to oust Chaluba. Chaluba declared a state of emergency and had the people involved in the coup arrested. This included Kenneth Kaunda, who returned to push this coup forward. Accusations of torture rose up, and this made the internal and international communities criticize Chaluba even more. Chaluba was released, Kauda was released in 2003, but most of those that were part of the coup were already executed. In the election of 2001, 
there was a lot of issues around the free and fairness of this. And Chalupa also went on to try and rewrite the Constitution to allow himself another term as president. His party and the Zambian public rejected this with great protest, and he was removed from the race. Levi Mwamwanwasa, another MMD member, won this election. Mwanawasa focused his administration on challenging corruption in the nation, but this was met with small acts of opposition by other parties that did not want to be investigated. Mwanawasa suffered a stroke in 2006, but still ran for re-election. His main opponent was Michael Seta of the Patriotic Front Party. Seta lost and claimed there was voting irregularities. This caused supporters of Sata to violently riot in smaller cities and in rural areas. Despite this, Mwamwanwasa accepted re-election. In 2008, Mwamwanwasa had another stroke that led to his death within just a few weeks. Under the terms of the Constitution, a special election to choose a new president was eventually scheduled for later that year. In this interim, Vice President Rupia Banda served as acting president. The election then was held on October 30th of 2008. It was contested by four candidates, including Banda and Sata. Banda won, although by only a very narrow margin, and Sata once again claimed that the vote had been flawed. Banda and Sata faced each other once again in 2011, and this time it was for a full presidency. After a lengthy election, Sata won the majority and was sworn in as president. Also in 2011, Zambia reached medium economic development for the first time since independence. The expansion of the mining, exporting, manufacturing, and tourism industries contributed to this growth. Zambia exports a lot of tobacco, flowers, gemstones, copper, and cobalt as part of its current economy. Although the economy experienced growth during Zata's presidency, there was discontent among the population over his failure to deliver on some of his main election promises, such as reducing unemployment, improving socioeconomic policy, and championing democratic governance. Sata did not tolerate Operation Well, and political opponents were subject to harassment and repeated arrests. Throughout his health, much like his predecessor, Sata's health was the subject of much speculation, and he did little to dispel the rumors. On October 28, 2014, while abroad for medical treatment, Sata died at a London hospital. Vice President Guy Scott was named interim president, and elections for a new president to complete the rest of Sata's term were set to be held. Scott's parents were not born in Zambia, and the 1996 constitutional amendment stipulated that a candidate for Zambia had to have dual Zambian parents. This eliminated Scott from the race. Scott's interim ascendancy to the presidency was notable because Scott was the first white head of state in Africa since the end of the apartheid era in South Africa. Edgar Lungu of the Patriotic Front Party won election in 2016. He threw the nation's money behind infrastructure projects to improve the nation. His administration approved construction of many roads and railways, and both of these things have helped contribute to an increase in trade and exports for the country. In the 2021 elections, the United Party of National Development won, with Hakende Hichilema becoming president. He defeated Longwe, which marked the first time that an opposition candidate had beaten the incumbent president since independence. And all that gets us to the present, where Zambia is currently ranked as a low-developed country on the Human Development Index. Now, that goes beyond just economic, because Zambia did hit medium development in that case, but when it comes to political rights and standard of living, all sorts of things that go into the HDI, Zambia still does rank low on this list. That's also due to the fact that there are huge issues with inequality, corruption, and poverty in the nation. But most of these issues come from the fact that the country is in huge debt. And I'm going to really quickly get into that. The country is in a huge amount of debt because of foreign aid. Foreign aid was forced upon the people of Zambia, and that comes with high interest rates and a huge amount of money to be paid back at some point. The issue with foreign aid is that it, many nations in Africa were given foreign aid too early, 
and we're unable to develop ways to pay off the debt from foreign aid. So the only way to continue to keep their government running was to take out more foreign aid loans. So because of this, Zambia is one of the many countries that is buried in foreign aid debt, and there doesn't seem to be any forgiveness to this debt coming. So Zambia, as of right now, contributes a lot of its exports towards paying off this debt as opposed to developing the country, which is the original reason the foreign aid was given. So foreign aid is corrupt as hell. It's something you can predict. It's the Europeans and the Americans always finding a way to get their grubby hands on Africa and not wanting to let go and being abusive towards less fortunate and wealthy people. It's stuff that you should expect at this point because the world is full of nasty bastards like that. So in the end, Zambia is a developing country trying its best to get by, but it has so much strong and beautiful culture in it that the pride of the people will not let their young country die anytime soon, and they will continue to push forward and fight through the struggles that they are facing. Now, that gets us to the very end where I like to leave it with a takeaway or a mindset, and with Zambia, that's going to be just keep holding on. I say that specifically with Zambia because Zambia is struggling. Zambia does have a lot of the impoverished quality of life education issues that many other African nations have that we've covered on this show so far. And with Zambia, their thing is not that they're facing forever internal wars or that they're being invaded or that they're being bought out heavily by another power. They have just one major issue, and it's the fact that they've been buried in foreign aid debt and it has caused them to be unable to develop their nation. With that being said, that does not mean these people and the government are not trying to stop. There's been many democratic elections in a row in this country. There's been a huge development of different industries. This country has found its stride in different areas. And I do believe that the only way Zambia is going to get out of their situation is by holding on to what they have now and holding on tight for hope and holding on through what is going on around them. Because all those are going to help them push forward because the things they're facing are very tough. But I do have this feeling that Zambia is going to come out of this on top because of the resilience of the people. Now, I say with you, do the same thing. Just hold on a little longer. Just hold on, hold on, hold on. It doesn't matter if it's to your dream, if it's to a relationship you really want to keep but is struggling, friends that aren't doing you well, organizations that are not doing great with you, like things that if you believe in your heart are what you want, hold on tight. Hold on tight to it. Hold on tight to them. Hold on tight to whatever thing you're fighting for and actually fight for it. Just keep it going, keep it pushing, all that. Because it's very easy to give up. It's very easy to let the effects of the world and all that push you down and make you struggle and all those things. And I'm not saying you won't struggle, but it is much better to struggle while holding on to whatever dream and cause you have in your heart than it is to just hold on for the sake of holding on and maybe just getting by. You need to hold on to what matters to you, hold on to whatever goal you have, hold on tight to Whatever it is you are searching for in this life, and just don't give up. Don't let anything pry you from that, because no matter what, you can get through it. And at some point, there is going to be a light at the end of that tunnel, and you're going to be very, very glad you held on to your dream, your relationship, held on to whatever big thing in your life that you don't want to let go of because you know it's right no matter how hard things are going. That's exactly where Zambia is. They are holding on tight to this hope that they're going to be a great, strong, free healthy, well-fed nation that's full of development and growth like some of the nations in this world are, despite the fact that they are currently not in that scenario or close to it. So be like Zambia, be like the Zambians and all the people that make up that title and just hold on tight until you are done and you're at your goal. And then you could let go and enjoy everything you've worked so hard for. And that's going to be the very end for me where 
I just want to say thank you. I'm very glad you guys listened. Zambia was a very interesting one, very unique because of its location. It's seen a lot of different history than most of the world because that South African region being so heavily influenced by Cecil Rhodes and all that is just unique. And on top of that, being able to really dive into the issues with foreign aid and the debt that comes with it is something that not a lot of historians have been able to do. So I'm very glad I was able to. With that being said, though, that's all for me, and I just want to say goodbye. So thank you guys so much for listening. And one more time, my name is Reese Garlinski. This is Young History, and that was Zambia. You guys enjoy, and have a great day. Thank you.